In Luke chapter 15, we read three incredible stories about something that's lost. We read about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And this is, is, uh, they're all teaching a very similar lesson, but this one, um, this one maybe hits a little closer to home for a lot of us. It's the story of the lost son. And I want to read starting in Luke 15, uh, uh, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my, father, uh, my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. And he's found. This is an incredible story. I don't know how many of you find yourselves maybe in this story as one of the characters. I think one... I think we have all maybe been one or the other or both at different times, but there's two main reasons to this story, and here's the first. It demonstrates God's love and compassion for the lost. Some preachers refer to this story in Luke chapter 15 as the gospel within the gospel. And I think the reason why they say this is the gospel within the gospel is because it's Jesus, the walking gospel, the Word made flesh, telling the gospel. Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear the Son of God, the Creator of the world, the Word made flesh, telling the Gospel story? Can you imagine what it must have been like to hear these words from Jesus telling this story about this compassionate Father who loves you so much? Charles Dickens said this is the finest story ever 
written. I don't know if Charles Dickens believed if it was true or not, but he thought it was the finest story ever written. I think it's the finest story ever written because it tells the story of God's amazing love for us. There's a second reason to this story as well. It was to let the Pharisees know that their attitude towards sinners was wrong. Jesus shows us what God's heart is like and He pleads with us for our hearts to be similar to to that. He wants us to have a heart for sinners like God has a heart for sinners. And God's heart for sinners tells us that He longs to be reunited with His lost children and He's hoping that His children find their way home. And in this story, when the prodigal son does find his way home, the father rejoices and he throws a huge party. And as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago from one of the sermons in our Romans series was that not only should we celebrate down here, but the angels in heaven are rejoicing when someone comes to know Jesus, when someone who is lost repents of their sins and is back baptized into Christ, the Bible says that there's a rejoicing that goes on in heaven when someone comes home to the Father. And so Jesus is telling the Pharisees this story to let them know that they need to treat people who are lost differently than what a lot of us treat people who are lost. I believe this story is a little bit of a warning to us today as well. Those of us who know Jesus, that we need to treat lost people properly. So a couple of things that we can easily see and apply to our lives is that, uh, first of all, we should never be jealous over God's response to lost people who finally come to their senses and surrender their lives to Christ. You say, well, how in the world can anybody ever possibly be jealous when someone comes to know Christ? You know what? There have been times when I have, you know, when I first heard the story of, of Jeffrey Dahmer supposedly gave his life to Christ in prison, and some of you, if you're below a certain age, you don't remember Jeffrey Dahmer. But some of us who are, and don't look him up on, don't look him up on Google. That's yeah, that, don't do that. He, he was a messed up dude, right? And he killed people and practiced cannibalism. And I mean, it was just, it was horrific. But from what I understand, while he was in prison, he gave his life to Christ and was baptized. And I got to be honest, I struggle with that a little bit to think that someone who did something as horrific as what he did, is seen the same way as I'm seen. Can anybody relate to that? In God's eyes, God sees him like he sees me. You know? I struggle with that some. That someone so bad could receive God's forgiveness and grace and eternal life and would be given heaven just like someone who has maybe served Jesus their entire lives. It doesn't seem fair. Well, my opinion, and again, this is just opinion, but I think we need to leave the fair or unfair part of grace up to God. Don't you think Jesus ought to be the one who decides that sort of thing? What's fair and what's unfair? I encourage you to look up the story of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, Here we see that, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but basically the gist of the story is that not all of the workers worked the same amount of time, but at the end of the day, they all got the same pay. And and that's telling us that it doesn't really matter when you surrender your life to Christ. When you do it, you are given eternal life. It doesn't really matter when you do that. Now, I think that there are different rewards in heaven. 
Now, I think we're rewarded for certain things, but heaven itself and, and being given grace and living with Jesus for eternity is available to anyone who repents of their sins, who's baptized into them while they still have breath. And Jesus is telling us in our text today that we should always rejoice with the Father over a lost son who comes home or over a lost daughter who has come home to the Father. I actually had an individual tell me one time, not at this church, but... Uh, at another church, um, that he wished we weren't having so many baptisms because it gets us out of church later on Sunday. Well, heaven forbid the Baptists beat us to Jim Dandies, you know? I mean, that's just terrible. Remember Jim Dandies in North Vernon? Anybody remember? And I just told you what church it was. Okay. Uh, anyway. No, I drove from Kentucky to North Vernon for lunch all the time. Happened all the time. Uh, when I think of, of someone having that kind of... That kind of an attitude toward baptism? You know, I think of the older brother in this story. Right? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Now you you get this picture for just a moment. We've got the father who's pleading with his oldest son to come inside and celebrate this brother that was dead. We thought he was dead and would, would never see him again. And he's alive. Come in and celebrate with us. And the oldest son says, Look, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. See, he's only thinking of himself. He's being very, very self-centered here. And we do this sometimes as well. And then, and he says, but when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. How do you respond. I I think for the most part, when someone surrenders their life to Christ, regardless of the circumstances, I think most everybody in this room is pretty pleased with that. I don't know of anybody really here that responds negatively when someone comes home, but let me ask you this question. What is your mindset about maybe some of the changes that need to be made to reach lost people? What is your heart when a tradition that you really like, we don't do anymore, in an effort to reach the lost? Do you get angry? Do you get annoyed? Do you get fearful? I really want to encourage you to do a self-inventory because I've had to do this a lot in my life and even some recently. If it meant one person coming to know Jesus Christ, if it meant one person coming home to the Father, would you be okay with getting rid of some of the things that you love or that we have in this church? Things that aren't necessarily biblically mandated? Some of these traditions? Would you be willing to set aside some of your preferences and some of your likes so that someone could go to heaven? Now, it's one thing if something is biblically mandated and said, you do this. 
If Jesus said, this is what I want for you, this is what I want for you to do, that can never change. Those are known as essential, but non-essential, some of the traditional things that maybe sometimes stand in the way of people coming to know Jesus. I don't think most of us struggle with new believers who come to know Jesus, but I do think a lot of us struggle with being willing to do what is necessary to make it easier for someone to find Jesus. And, and don't get me wrong, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not bashing tradition. I love tradition. I'm kind of a traditional guy. And now that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit older and <clears throat> uh, I'm a grandpa in that. Did you guys know I was a grandpa? Uh, now, I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a grandpa now. And I lean toward tradition more and more all the time, you know. And so sometimes I struggle with, with not doing things the way that I've always done things. But I want you to just stop for a moment, and I want you to take a look at the platform up here right now. Okay? Um, do you think the early church had a set of drums? Do you think the early church had guitars? Do you think they had an organ or a piano? Do you think they had a, a screen or a projector? Goodness, they didn't even have a senior minister. And none of those things are wrong, especially that last one. There are things that we've created. There are traditions that we have created. And I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to give up this, except the last one, if it meant someone would come to know Jesus? I'm not saying we're going to do that. But you see what I'm saying? We get hung up in some of these traditions sometimes. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, if I thought for a moment that I was hindering someone from coming to Jesus because I was the senior minister, I'd give it up in a heartbeat. Would you rejoice with the ones who came to know Jesus if it meant that we didn't have what we like in our service? See, I think we all need to ask ourselves this question because if we say, no, I'm not willing to give up what I like so others can come to know Jesus, I don't think we're too awfully different from the prodigal's brother. The prodigal's brother would not go in because he didn't like what was going on. And he left. And that's what a lot of that's what a lot of Christians do when things happen in their church that they're just not all that crazy about. They leave, they go away. And they won't celebrate when people are coming to know Jesus. And I don't want y'all to like think, oh no, here comes a bunch of changes. Here go, you know, here's the warning. Look out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we've got to get our focus in the right place. You know? We've got to get past a lot of our likes and dislikes and traditions and start focusing on lost people coming to know Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Now there's three stages in this story that I want you to see. The first stage is this. The lost son rejected home and his father. We read how the younger son, uh, he asked his father for his inheritance. He was basically saying, I, I want my inheritance now. Uh, he, he, he's basically saying, um, 
I don't want to wait for time to take it, its course, you know. I mean, he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance now. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, I can't wait for you to die, Dad, because I want it now. And so the, the dad gives him uh, what he asked for. He gives it to him. He gives it to his older son as well. And then the younger son takes his stuff and he heads off for a distant country. And the King James Version says a far off country. And the idea here is that the son wanted to get as far away from the dad as he possibly can. He wanted to get out from under his dad's rule and he wants to do his own thing. Now maybe some of you have been there before with your dad. Maybe you've had children who've felt that way. Uh, This kid wanted to live... Young man, this wanted to live however he wanted to live. And he's off in this new and this far off country and he just starts blowing all of his money. He just starts doing things that he was never able to do before. And he basically becomes this irresponsible young man. And I picture him living this wild, crazy life where he's gambling all the time and he's drunk all the time and he's having parties and he's hanging with prostitutes and he's thinking, hey, I'm finally out from under the old man's rules and I'm going to do what I want. This is kind of the attitude that I see this young man have. Someone mentioned that far country could also be titled the forgetfulness of God. And so what this guy wanted to do, what Jesus is saying here, is that this guy wanted to get out from under uh, even having to think about his father. And I know people who get to the point in their lives sometimes, maybe people who are raised in the church, maybe raised under strict rules, and they have to go to church all the time, and when they get old enough on their own, they want to get out from under that those rules and the, those strict regulations and all that kind of stuff that they were raised in. So they go off and they want to get as far away from those rules as possible. And they get to the point in their lives where they just want to forget about God for some reason, and they just want to live for themselves. And that's kind of what's happening here. You know, every day that someone lives their lives this way, forgetting about God and just living from themselves, they're feeding that that carnal nature of theirs, and they're just saying, "God, I want you to take a back seat for a while. I don't want you to have a big part of my life." And so they get to the point, and I think this is kind of where a lot of society is right now. Sundays have no meaning whatsoever. Church has no meaning whatsoever. Prayer has no meaning whatsoever. It's basically what Paul referred to when he mentioned being alienated from a life of God. And it's just like this prodigal son, this lost son. All this son wanted to do was fill his belly, live for the satisfaction of himself. No one else, not even his father, not even God. And I'm sure he's having the time of his life for a while. But eventually the money ran out and he became in, in dire need, the Bible tells us. An interesting part of this story is that while he had money and he was spending it on parties, he spent it on girls, when the money ran out, he had nobody. That's pretty typical of our world today, isn't it? No? Reminds me of a story of a young man who kneeled before a beautiful young woman on a hillside beside a beautiful lake. And he said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than life. And I want you to marry me. Now, I'm not a wealthy man. I don't have a yacht like Johnny Green. I don't have a Rolls Royce like Johnny Green. I don't have lots of money and a mansion like Johnny Green. But I love you with all of my heart. And the young woman paused for a moment and said, darling, I love you too with all of my heart. But before I say yes... 
could you tell me a little more about this Johnny Green? You know, I, I, I think there are some people who are kind of that way, you know, they, they just, man, as long as somebody can do something for them, as long as God blesses me this way, I'm okay with God. I'm okay with a relationship with God as long as He's given me what I want. And the prodigal son, he was kind of that way too. And, and he leaves and he hits rock bottom and he went from the, this party lifestyle to eating or to feeding pigs and wanting to eat with the pigs. That's hungry, folks. And I don't know if you've ever been that hungry or not, but that's hungry. And he got to the point in his life where he knew he couldn't go on living like he was anymore. And in verse 17, we're told that he finally came to his senses and he thought, man, if I could just go back home and I could work on the farm and, and uh, you know, um, I, the farmhands, I know dad treats the farmhands really, really well. He feeds them and, and that'd be better than, you know, wanting to eat this slop. And so he headed home and then the second part of the story is this, the lost son came to his senses, he, he, he headed home and this son who earlier in the story rejected the father's love, he rejects the father's authority, but he remembers just how well the father had provided for him and just how much the father had provided for the farmhands and he recognized that only his father could give him what he longed for. Everything else in the land, see there was a severe famine. He couldn't get what he wanted, what he needed anywhere else. And he could only get what he wanted and what he what he really wanted and what he needed, he could only get that from his father and he recognized what a desperate mess he was. And he came home. And I think this is the first step that we all need to take when we come to know Jesus, when we get to the point in our lives, when we recognize that we're, we're messed up. No? We're messed up and our Heavenly Father is so good. And I think that's the first step in finding your way back home is coming to the realization that you can't do it on your own. You know? The son knew that he had sinned. He knew that he was wrong. He was willing to admit it and so he headed home. And I think it's fair to ask this question. How about you? Are you willing to admit that you're wrong? You can't do it on your own. You're headed in the wrong direction if you're not headed toward home. If you're not headed toward the Father, you're headed in the wrong direction. The prodigal son recognized that he didn't even deserve to be called his son anymore. And he knew that his father owed him nothing. He'd lost his position of sonship because of the way he was living his life, or so he thought. But he knew his father would have mercy on him. He knew his father would forgive him. He knew his father would welcome him back. At the very least, he would hire him as a servant. And I think this is the most incredible part of the whole story. The father rejoiced to see his son come home. The son heads for home. Verse 20 says that while he was still a long way off, I love that part of the story. While he was still a long way off, his father spotted him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to him. From what I understand, the original Greek is telling us that a long way off indicates... Picture this. The, the father was not just sitting in his living room with his feet propped up in a recliner watching television and hoping that someday his son might come home. 
He expected him to come home. He expected him to return. And so every day, most scholars believe that he traveled a great distance from his house to a point where he could see from a long way off and he would watch for his son to come home so that he could see him at the earliest possible moment. And this is huge. And this is why I've entitled this message the prodigal father, not because the prodigal son, because the whole point of this story is that we have a father who longs for us and he cannot wait for us to turn to him. And I don't know if you know what the word prodigal means, but it's basically another word of saying lavishly, right? The prodigal father lavishly loves us. He lavishly pours his grace out upon us. That's basically what it means in the love for that the father had for the son didn't begin when the son got back home. It was always there. He always loved his son. Even when the son was lost, even when the son was off doing his own thing, even when the son basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. The father loved him. And it shows that the father was full of grace and he anxiously was awaiting the return of His wayward Son. Now remember, Jesus is telling this story and He does so to emphasize that God loves those who are lost. And He's eagerly awaiting each lost person to return home. And so I encourage you to look at the lost maybe a little bit differently instead of condemning, instead of pointing fingers, instead of talking about what an awful lifestyle this person might be living and how objectionable it is to us. Maybe see them as someone that God just wants to see come home. And when someone does come home, the Bible tells us there's this great reunion, there's this great restoration where God is just waiting to receive us with open arms. And this story says the father gave his son the best robe. Now this is very symbolic. He gave him this robe uh, when he came home, uh, basically... you know, to say you're part of us now, you're back with us, but it's also symbolic of the robe of righteousness that Jesus puts on us. And so that when God looks at us, He sees us as perfect. The Father gave the Son this robe and it signified that the privileges of sonship had been restored to Him. And then the Father gave him a signet ring, which is a symbol that authority was given back to the Son by the Father. And He gave him sandals. It's my understanding that only family members wore sandals. Uh, all, of the, all of the servants, that the, the, the Son basically wanted to come back and be a servant. Uh, and, and the servants were all barefooted. But it was only family members that had shoes, had sandals. The father said, listen, you're not, you're not just going to be a farmhand. You are, you are my son. You're still my son. You never stopped being my son. You will always be my son. And they killed the fattened calf and had a big old party. Here's the deal. God loves sinners. And God looks and waits for sinners to start heading home. And when He does, just like we sang 
in that song a moment ago, and just like the story in Luke 15 tells us, the Father runs to meet us with open arms. And He gives us the blessings and the privileges of our inheritance. And so obviously the, 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 the Father in this story is obviously God. And the lost son represents everyone who rejects the loving Father and lives for themselves. And the older son represents the Pharisees because they resented how much Jesus was interested in saving sinners. But I think it also represents a lot of us in the church today. Some of us who have fallen into the traps of legalism who are more concerned with rules and regulations and traditions than we are lost sinners coming to know Jesus. And so, I ask you, where do you land in this story? Where do you land? As we offer this song of decision this morning, understand that our Father is gracious and He loves us. But ask yourself, which one are you? Are you the lost son? Are you the older son? Or are you at a great place with the Father? I hope you're number three. And I believe that most of you are, if not all of you. But if you see yourself as number two or number three, understand that the Father is anxiously waiting to meet you today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song of decision. And if you have a need, we encourage you to come. Um, if you're watching online, uh, you, can, you can text READY to our church connection number and we'll, we'd love to reach out to you and talk to you about surrendering your life to Christ, what it means to repent of your sins and to be baptized into Him. Um, 